It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. Welcome to the party. I'm Sam Ekstrom, and today we have 10 massive Vikings predictions to deliver to you, and I'm probably going to get reckless. Hi, welcome to the party. My name is Arif Hassan. We're going to be talking about punt returners that are very stout, cocky built, narrow, thick, strong legs with really big glutes. Welcome to the party. I'm Luke Braun from Locked On Vikings, and I'm excited to lose some bets this season. Welcome to the party. Luke Inman for Superior Sports Talk, telling you why you should jump on the bandwagon for Kirk Cousins for MVP. It's the Minnesota Football Party. Locked On Sports Minnesota Podcast. It's endless Minnesota Vikings talk with the diverse voices of your local experts. It's time for the Minnesota Football Party. It's your guys hanging out, talking next-level Vikings football. So join in with the Athletics' Arif Hassan, Locked On Vikings' Luke Braun, Superior Sports Talk's Luke Inman, and Vikings insider Sam Ekstrom, plus the biggest names in Minnesota football for the Minnesota Football Party. And it starts now. What a show we have today. It's Vikings Packers week, and the full team is assembled here. Luke Inman of Superior Sports Talk, at Luke underscore Spinman, Arif Hassan of The Athletic, at Arif Hassan NFL, Luke Braun of Lockdown Vikings and the Lockdown Vikings postcast, at Luke Braun NFL. Check out, I'm out of breath. Check out his <laughs> uh, his Patreon. His Jalen Rigor's cast do that to you. Yeah, uh, during the intro video, I had to run and get my dog outside. That's why I'm so exhausted. Um, (laughs) Today on the show, 10 massive predictions about the Minnesota Vikings. Now, guys, this will live forever. So we will be revisiting this in four months and see how we did. 10 big predictions. We're also going to gamble. We're going to have a $1,000 bank. Fake money, of course. Um, but we're using the bet online odds to make our predictions against the spread this week. We've also got Kirk Cousins MVP talk to kick off the show. But make sure you're subscribed to Locked On Sports Minnesota. You can find the videos on YouTube or the podcasts wherever you get the pod, uh, your podcasts. Make sure to comment on this YouTube video. Hit that bell. Help people find the show by liking, subscribing, commenting, all that jazz. And check us out on Twitter. Hit me up at Sam Ekstrom with your thoughts on the purple. Kirk Cousins MVP, Michael Irvin thinks so. Kyle Brandt thinks so. I believe he's forty to one on the Bet Online odds going into the season for most valuable player, gentlemen. Luke Inman, you teased it in your intro. You want to get us on the bandwagon? Make your case, Kirk Cousins MVP this season. Well, I love all the love and spotlight Kirk's getting all of a sudden. I'm going to play devil's advocate first. The obstacle he's going to have to work around when it comes to winning this award 
is almost having too much talent around him, most valuable players. So what does the team look like with him and without him? And how big's the drop-off? Obviously, the bigger drop-off, the more value they're going to add. When Aaron Rodgers won the MVP the last two seasons, everyone said, well, look, he's only got one elite weapon in Devontae Adams. He's raising the play of everyone around him. When Peyton Manning won all those MVPs, it was partly because you knew if he wasn't in the game, they might not win a single game all season. And that almost happened the year he got hurt in 2011. I think they went 1-15 with Kirk. I think there's so much talent and supporting cast with J.J. Thielen, Osborne Cook, Irv, all that. It's hard for him to win the MVP, hence why he's at 40-1. to 1. Great value if you like it. But what's the path need to look like? Unfortunately, I think actually you'd have to almost lose a guy or two like a J.J. and or Thielen and or Cook for some chunks of time during the season and still play at a high level, still put up the big stats, and most importantly, obviously, still find a way to win those big games because that's the kind of recipe you need to win this award. Is it true that the wide receivers never won? Is that correct? Well, I mean, if Cooper Cup didn't win it last year after winning the Triple Crown, I think Megatron was the closest um, going back to what that almost 2000 yard season, he didn't win it. So yeah, I think you're right, Sam. I don't think a receiver has ever won it. No. Pete Peterson was the last non QB to win it. Here's the data that I'm looking at. I, I think it's fairly straightforward. The last nine MVPs are all quarterbacks. All of them, except one, won 12 or more games. And almost all of them had 35 or more touchdowns, except for Brady in 2017 and they had 10 or fewer interceptions. I mean, the path is fairly clear. Kirk's got to win a dozen games or more, and he's probably got to get that touchdown total between 35 and 40, interceptions 10 or below. I think that's the formula. If you look at what Matt Ryan did, um, Aaron Rodgers has done it three times in the last 10 years. Peyton Manning was absurd, 55 touchdowns. But, you know, he can't go the Lamar Jackson or Cam Newton route because he's not mobile. But I think that there is a formula that you know voters will latch on to, and especially Kirk, who hasn't reached that level yet, novelty always wins. Like if someone is doing something beyond what they've done in the past for a good team, typically that's enough to get you the award. Arif Hassan, your thoughts? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, obviously the award generally goes to elite quarterbacks because they're most likely to put up elite performances. But when you look at the uh, winners who have um, had some questions surrounding them, like Lamar Jackson, like Cam Newton, um, that year, they had always kind of resolved those questions. Both, uh, I believe both Cam, uh, Lamar Jackson and Cam Newton led the league in those respective years in game-winning drives. And I know both of them led the league in touchdown passing percentage. You know, both of them had questions surrounding their ability to throw the ball. Lamar Jackson finished that year with over eight adjusted net yards per attempt. Cam Newton finished that year ranked sixth in adjusted net yards per attempt. I think both of those uh, are indications that they were able to kind of overcome the biggest questions surrounding their career, whether or not they had, you know, in Cam Newton's case, the leadership to you know, create game-winning drives, whether or not they had the ability, like in Lamar Jackson's case, to actually pass the ball efficiently. Um, and I think for Kirk Cousins' case, he's going to have to overcome the biggest questions surrounding him, you know, before he can enter kind of the halls of the elite because he's not Aaron Rodgers. He's not Peyton Manning. He has something to prove to demonstrate that he gets to be, uh, you know, one of those named people. And I think that he's going to have to lead multiple game-winning drives, which he did do last year, in all fairness. Um, and he's going to have to demonstrate that he can win in big moments. I think that that's kind of, it's in some ways, the MVP is kind of an unfair standard because, you know, in addition to judging you against the other quarterbacks, generally quarterbacks uh, around the league, you, you're being judged against your own faults, right? And so 
once you have the ability to kind of overcome that, especially in big moments with the national spotlight, say, hey, you know, in two weeks against Philadelphia on Monday night, um, then you can begin to generate that conversation. And of course, like you said, you need to win a lot of games along the way. Luke Braun, you yeah, hammering that 40 to one? To... <laughs> I will not be. But if you want to see it, um, it's, it's game-winning drives, like Arif said. It, it has to be, like, MVP is fundamentally a subjective award, like, determined subjectively. So even if he outperforms all of his, like, statistical categories and all that, it's still going to come down, whether or not it should, to moments throughout the season where you're going to have to... I, I, I want to see Kirk Cousins throw a game-winning touchdown against Philly on Monday night, right? That kind of thing is going to get weighted, maybe more than it should, but that's going to be what matters. And also, you're, you kind of have to win those games. You have to pull those things off if you want to win a dozen games um, and, like, rip off all the, those, those good stats. But it's, yeah, he'll have to outperform everything he's done. And that's what we've been sold, if you listen to Kevin O'Connell, is that he will because I'm here and I can fix him. Um, and if you can pull that off and get him to play better situational football, the thing that's been holding him back for a decade, um, then, you know, you can start to talk about it. But it is going to take something that we have not seen before at a clip we haven't seen before. Yeah. Comment on the video on YouTube whether you think Kirk has an MVP chance. Hit us up on Twitter. Um, because Kirk now has this forward-thinking head coach, offensive-minded head coach, and he has all these weapons, like, will this finally be the definitive year, Luke Inman, where we actually know what Kirk Cousins is? Because the excuses are gone at this point, if he cannot elevate his play, I guess will that like bring the Kirk apologists down a notch if with everything really good around him, if he can't deliver any more than he has? Well, I think the Kirk apologists will always find a way in there. Well, it's the first year of a new system. It's complicated, a lot of verbiage. Yeah. Give them another year, right? But, you know, Bar as long as everybody's healthy, you're right. There's so much talent around this team. Um, and, and at this point in his career, too, where he's at, we know at this point, it's not like he's just going to flip a switch and turn, all of a sudden magically um, just drastically improve things like, uh, you know, pocket awareness or mobility, arm strength, things like that. We know where he's at. So I, I think you're right. Uh, um, you know, there'll always be a few, you know, naysayers in that say, well, um, you know, hey, his left tackle was out six games and that really hurt Whatever. I, I think this uh, will be kind of the do or die year for sure. And then obviously you look at his contract coming up too as well. Um, they're going to have to make a big decision based off the play this year. And obviously we'll, we'll find out what he does. But um, yeah, huge year for sure for Kirk Cousins. Yep. Yeah, Arif, there was always a stat that my old colleague and I, Matthew Collar, talked about. And that was QBR fluctuation. Like the best quarterbacks are 14 games out of 17 or 15 out of 17 they're giving you a great chance to win. Whereas Kirk Cousins would have so many games like with a QBR below 50, where he really was giving you no chance to win. And that was happening all too frequently. And people get caught up in the bottom line. What did, what were his stats for the season? Oh, they were really good. But if you look at how he got there, he often left you with really impossible situations along the way. So I think a, a, a huge key, in addition to those big moments, game-winning drives, is just delivering like, a level of consistency where you're going to be in every game and you're not going to be played out of it by your quarterback. 
Yeah, I know that this is something that, that Caller has talked a lot about. And just to clarify, when you say QBR, it's clearly referring to ESPN's total QBR 0 to 100 system, not the yep. passer rating system that a lot of people use where below 50 would be catastrophic instead of below average. Um, yeah, I, 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 <laughs> I, just, I just wanted to make that clear that that's what you're yeah, talking you about. Yeah, you like fell down on every snap. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Um, so uh, I, I think that that's interesting. I know when I was talking to Matthew a couple of times in the past, just, you know, conversations that we'll have, you know, during games or on the way to pressers or something like that. You know, one thing that you harp on is that Kirk would generate, you know, these really you know remarkable stats against weak opponents and not do it against strong opponents. Uh, last year was such an interesting contrast to that, because I think against, uh, you know, opponents with a winning record, something along those lines, he actually had like an adjusted net yards per attempt. Uh, in the top five, and then against uh, opponents where they were below 500, his uh, his is either his QBR or his adjusted air score attempt or something like, was like 22nd in the NFL. It was very weird. It was actually against the bad opponents that he played so poorly last year. And if the Vikings had been consistent, and assuming you know consistent in a good way, right, consistent uh, somewhat near their ceiling, you know they probably would have won 13, 14 games. It was really remarkable how good the Vikings could be at their best last year. And the quarterback position is a big part of it. I think one thing that kind of gets lost in the performances last year is, yeah, of course, if the defense didn't give up so many points at the end of halves, you know, things would have been a lot different. But one way to make sure the defense is not giving up points is to have the ball and keep it. And so some of that defensive performance, not all of it, not even most of it, but some of it is on the quarterback and on the offense just in general, um, not having three and outs near the end of games. I think that that's kind of getting lost in a lot of the shuffle. And that's a big part of your performance in high leverage situations is your ability to maintain possession when you need to maintain possession. And I think having all of those elements together, making sure that, you know, the situational awareness, making sure that the consistency, making sure that everything that you do uh, enables winning as opposed to, you know, generating, you know, 60 yards on an 80 yard field with no time left, you know, that that's a nice empty stat, uh, you know, making sure that everything you do improves your odds of winning as opposed to kind of helps in some of these, you know, tertiary efficiency statistics that, you know, Cousins is very good at generating the top five quarterback in most efficiency statistics, um, but, but doesn't seem to translate into wins. And for the record, the QBR thing last year, 13, against Cleveland, 28 against Detroit, 41 against Dallas, 40 against San Francisco, 32 in a win against Pittsburgh when he went 14 of 31. That's right. 23. That was wild. Oh yeah, that was crazy. 23 yeah. against Chicago, 44 against the Rams. Like there was a there was plenty of bad Kirk last year that people conveniently forget because the defense did take a lot of heat, but I mean, Luke Braun, you, you have to admit that there were some it's... games like Kirk, Kirk was getting legit MVP talk after week three last year, and then he played the Cleveland and Detroit games. It's symbiotic. Football's a symbiotic game. And this is why I get, like, immediately – I want to, like, check out of conversations when they start going, like, well, was it Kirk's fault or the defense's fault? A, both. B, they affect each other. Like, if the defense – like Ari said, if you go three and out in a two-minute drill – after the defense gives up a touchdown with 150 to go, and then you go three and out and give, put the defense right back out there with 120 to go, and then they give up another score, some of that's on you. And then on the other hand, if you know the defense is putting you in a situation where you have to throw a whole bunch because they let the other team score 35 on them, and now you're chasing the game, and now that's going to change your play calling, and now the other team can pin their ears back, and pass rush is going to be harder, and like it's all symbiotic and it all affects each other. So 
I, I feel like with Kirk too often, we get into this world of like, well, you know, here was his stats and here was what the defense did. And really it was the defense. It wasn't his fault. And it, you're, we're taking a result and working backwards. Look at how Kirk played. What did he do? Did he throw a lot of good touchdowns? Did he play well? Did he make decisions that were good? Or did he check down when he wasn't supposed to? Look at what he did. That's where I go. But MVP is not uh, an award that like thinks that way. And the people who who decide MVP are going to think a little bit more results-based. So it is going to be like a, a couple of us. It's fundamentally unfair. So if the defense does give up a whole bunch and Kirk Cousins is chasing games and things go wrong, that would be a thing that prevents him from being an MVP. So not only does he have to play well, kind of has to get a little lucky too. Yeah. That was way too nuanced of a take though. It's got to be more black and white, Luke. You know that. Come on. Yeah, we need to clip this for Twitter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Clickbait. That's what people okay. accuse us of. That was such a good point, though. drinking mayo That's coffee right. on a live stream. Clip that. That yeah. was such a good point, though, uh, uh, by a reef, though, that, that, you know, it's not just one thing. It's a multitude of things. And now I'm very interested. What was Kirk Cousins' efficiency in those final two minutes? How many three and outs did he go? Those are stats that now I'm very intrigued to know. Um, you know, when all of a sudden, uh, obviously, all the defense takes all the heat for those last two minutes and a half in the final game. What did Kirk Cousins do in those last couple minutes? I'd love to know and kind of pick, ch kind of cherry pick those stats. Yeah, no, yeah, the Vikings had numerous instances where they, like, had a chance to answer a late drive inside of two minutes. Instead, mm -hmm. went three and out, gave the ball back for the team to score Twice in the last How many minutes. times did that you say, okay, just need one first down here and yeah. it should be locked up. That's all you need. And uh -huh. they couldn't do it. You know, I mean, it, hard to say now, but I think if we were to go back and find out, I, I think that would just be able to add a little bit more fuel to the fire. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be fun to track. One kind of sort of relevant, it doesn't directly answer your question, but it kind of speaks to, to the broader nature of it is, you know, uh, Alec and I worked on a piece on Kirk Cousins uh, that got that went live this morning. One of the statistics in there is uh, Kirk's performance at the final two minutes of the game, not final two minutes of the half, which I think is a lot of what we're talking about, but the final mm -hmm. two minutes of the game over the last three years, what the Vikings have done in situations where either they need a touchdown uh, in order to win or tie the game, or they need a score of any type. Uh, and in that first scenario, in the final five minutes of the game, if they need a touchdown to score, um, the Vikings rank 24th in touchdown rate on those drives, 24th, hmm. right? Hmm. That's pretty catastrophically bad for somebody who's supposed to be an average or above average or in terms of some efficiency statistics, you know, top five, right? Um, if, if you're going to be in the MVP conversation, you need to bring your team up to that level. Now, if it's a score of any type, right, if it's a field goal or a touchdown or anything along those lines, if, if, if the Vikings are within one score, the final five minutes of the game, uh, the Vikings rank 22nd in uh in scoring rate now mind you that one is a little bit different because uh in that situation the kicker matters and the number of missed field goals leads the league with three um but the rate of missed field goals like 12 and a half percent something like that um is dependent both on the offense's ability to get the kicker into a reasonable range like i don't want to put it on the kicker if they missed a 60 yard field goal um but also, even when you add in missed field goals as if they're all made, the Vikings still don't climb above 15th. They're still a below-average team in the final five minutes of a game where they need one score to win. So uh, I, I, 
it's it's very frustrating to have these kinds of conversations about somebody that you know in some of these games like Kirk against Green Bay last year was phenomenal, right? In some of these games, there's just some really excellent yep. performances. There's something to tap into, especially you know against Green Bay. Dalvin Cook hasn't been able to do very much running the ball, right? And so it it became incumbent upon Kirk to score those points, and he did, right? Really fantastic stuff. So it becomes really frustrating when you know when you do have the final moments in the game. And, and and he can't do it. And what's really interesting, what's really funny, is that this doesn't translate into overtime. As soon as the clock winds to zero and they get into overtime, he's effective again, right? It's, he's a really effective overtime quarterback because the situation is now back to what it is in the first quarter where he's also, yeah. generally speaking, an effective quarterback. Mm. So a really it's kind of like bizarre scenario. Yeah, yeah exactly. He did that in Baltimore it's... last year, though. Well, yeah, but I mean, like, he didn't fumble the ball against Arizona, right? <laughs> like... Um, it's, 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 it's interesting because I think it has to deal with situational awareness and how your, uh, play should change when you have to deal with two minute or four minute scenarios. It's just, that's not something that, that clicks for him. And Kirk, as he said yesterday, and as Kevin O'Connell said yesterday, they're not really looking for him to change. They expect the same Kirk, which is mildly controversial. I mean, you might expect people to be a little more gung-ho about the prospects of getting the most out of him, getting more out of him. But no, no, Kirk is going to be Kirk. Kirk is okay being Kirk, and the Vikings are okay with Kirk being Kirk. So a lot of Kirk being Kirk. We've got a packed show left today. Um, we got predictions to make for the upcoming season. Before we get to that, a reminder that if you are not ordering Built Bar Puffs, what are you doing? Because they're so delicious, delectable, delightful, light, fluffy, textured cookie dough chunk puffs, only 160 calories, a whopping 15 grams of protein. Don't walk. Run to Built.com. That's the web address. Go on your phone. Go on your laptop um, and order Built Bars because they're made with collagen protein, and your body absorbs them more efficiently. They taste great. And they're great for you. I like to have one every day before the Minnesota football party so I can have energy to make it through this show with these rascals. Um, you're going to love them. Cookie Dough Chunk Puffs, Built.com. Promo code LOCKEDON15. Get 15% off your order so you can buy dozens of them. Use promo code LOCKEDON15. That's LOCKEDON15. I've got 10 categories here, guys, where we are going to predict aspects of the Minnesota Vikings season. There's four of us, so we cannot linger too long, but I would encourage a brief explanation, if you have it, of your pick. We will revisit this in about four months and see how we did. Um, our, our guy, Matt DeBritz, back in the studio, he can pull the audio. We'll have some clips of what we said. Um, and this can be really fun because you see how far off you were or how you nailed it. So let's start with where we just talked, Kirk Cousins, Game-winning drives. How many will he have? We'll go around the horn if you're watching on YouTube, and that begins with Luke Inman. Uh, somebody's got to remind me. How many did Kirk Cousins have last season? Four. Three or four? Four last year. Four. Three fourth-quarter comebacks, four game-winning drives. Okay, three comebacks, four game-winning drives. Okay, I think, obviously, you have to think about the defensive situation. How many opportunities is he going to have to actually lead this team come back? I'm going to go with four again. I'm going to say four. 
All right. All right. For for me, I think uh, one element of why he had you know so many game winning drives last year, a quarter of the season, is because of how many close games they were in. Uh, I believe mm-hmm. fourteen. They tied uh, the twenty fifteen Ravens for the most close games uh, ever uh, in an NFL season. I don't think that's going to happen again. And those close games are what enable game winning drive opportunities. Now, mind you, his rate of game winning drives was still low. I think it will uh, maintain that same kind of rate. I think he'll have two. I'll go with three. I'll just put myself right in the middle there. Yeah, I'm going to go three as well. I think it's a step down from last year, but not a huge step. I think he's probably more efficient in those situations, but he'll have fewer of those opportunities. All right. That was nice and uh, nice, tidy, gentlemen. Let's go Dalvin Cook rushing yards and continue going around the horn. Luke. I'm going to go with 1,100. Dalvin averages, what, 11.3 games in his career per season, obviously, you know, he, what, rookie season, he played, what, three and a half games, so that lowers that average a bit. Um, but typically, he does miss two to three to four, maybe games-ish a season. Um, I still think he's going to be very efficient when he's in there, but keep it in mind that, you know, he may be dinged up for two or three games. I think it could be even higher, but I'm going to go with 1,108 rushing yards in 2022. Go ahead, vault me, Sam. Play this back to me at the end of the season. When I nail it, eleven hundred and eight. I love the specificity. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that uh, I, I think that it is uh, overstated how many games Dalvin Cook will miss. But I'm going to end up with a very similar uh, prediction to Luke. I'm just going to go off of my fantasy article over the Athletic, kind of trying to predict who the Vikings players or how the Vikings players will do. I think the issue for him is going to he's have fewer opportunities to run the ball because it's a an offense that runs the ball less and might give it to more ball carriers. So I think he's going to go from 20 uh, or a little bit over 20 carries a game over the last two years to something like 18. So for me, my prediction ended up being, I'm going to be even more specific than Luke, 1,169.8 yards. Woo! I love it. So- and to Arif's point, uh, I, I agree. He, I think he does have less attempts this year. I just think they're more efficient. I think he's going to see less stack boxes. Mm-hmm. I think they set up the run by, That's uh, um, you know, passing first and things like that. But I do agree with you. I think he does have less touches per game than he did last season. So is eleven sixty nine was your prediction or eleven seventy eight? Your point eight eleven sixty nine. Okay, that that is important to note. All right, Luke Braun. All right, so I'm thinking like something like 82 a game sounds about fair. Sounds about like in the same range as everybody else is in. Say he misses three games, 14 times 82, that'd be 1148. I'll go with that. Wow, we're, we're all, right all there. very similarly wow. thinking. So this was my calculation. Be bold, be bold. I figured 225 as the number of carries, which is a reduction at increased efficiency. So 4.9 per carry, that arrives at 1102. So I know it feels like I just prices righted you, Luke Inman. I'm sorry about that. But be tough. if it goes below 1100, because we're not necessarily, we, it's okay if you go over in this game. So if he's under 1100, Luke Inman wins. So you're actually in a pretty good spot. <laughs> Justin Jefferson receiving yards. Luke I Inman. I didn't play this right. Oh, boy. Um, <clears throat> I got to look ahead here. Are we going to do receptions as well? No, we're just doing receiving yards. Okay. Uh, I'm going to say 1688. And I know Cooper Cup. I mean, what a season. 191 targets, 145 catches, 1,947 yards. Um, I do think Justin Jefferson has the 
best statistical season of his career. I think he catches well over 100 balls. I think he isn't in that Cooper Cup role. Um, but 1688, I think maybe to some even falls short of some expectations that we put on him. Still an incredible season. 1688, final answer, Sam. All right. Uh, I'm going to say that Justin Jefferson does an exact repeat at 1616. Uh, the reason for that, I think, is, uh, you know, he's been completely healthy his whole career. That doesn't mean he will continue to be completely healthy. I think he misses one or two games, but I do think that he is going to get more yards per game and a slightly more efficient offense. That's going to throw him a little bit further downfield. So more receptions per game, more yards per game, more yards per reception, maybe a couple fewer games. So I'm going to go 1616. Nice. We are being way too responsible. JJ Do says it. he's going Go over 2K. It. I'm Go not going to tell him he's wrong. 2010. Let's go. He's setting records. Over <laughs> Let's 2000. Go. Somebody's got to represent Justin Jefferson's own opinion on this. <laughs> you know, it, it's one th one thing that doesn't get talked about enough with the Cooper Cup season. He did play all 17 games. I mean, Reef's right. If he JJ misses even just one or two games, so hard to reach kind of the stats that were you know everybody, even nationally, is expecting from JJ at this point. Obviously, hope he does it, um, but uh, really tough to play 17 games. He's done it the last two years, so I'm going to assume he no, does right. it again. Mm -hmm. I'm going to add one catch per game from last year, which might be modest, but I think 125 as your total is still a pretty good total. It's At 15 bad. yards per reception, I'm going 18.75 league leader boy. in receiving. 18.75. JJ. All right, Adam Thielen TDs. He's been a touchdown monster. How many does he have this year, Luke? Uh, even when he misses, what, three to four games, tweaks his ankle, rolls that ankle maybe in London, something like that, he's still going to get 12 TDs this year, Sam. I mean, he's are a you, red zone are machine. Are you insulting Nobody the scored... field quality in London? Is the grass no, going to be slippery? Him? No, absolutely not. No, <laughs> uh, I, w I would never. I would never. Um, besides <laughs> Devontae Adams, nobody scored more red zone touchdowns as a receiver than Adam Thielen in the last two years. You're right. I expect that to keep up, even in a little bit different role here, different uh, offensive scheme. I still think he ends up with 12 touchdowns. Yeah, I think that his yardage total will remain somewhat limited. And generally speaking, mm -hmm. receivers produce about one touchdown for every 100 yards. But that's, you know, that's general, right? I don't think that's Adam Thielen. I think that, you know, the Vikings recognize him specifically as a red zone weapon. Whether or not they're right, they're going to treat him that way, which means he's going to get targets in the red zone. I think that he'll uh, be able to beat regression once again. I think that he's going to, maybe not 12, I'm going to go with 10 uh, touchdowns because you know he's going to miss a couple of games here and there and uh, and the Vikings are going to have more receivers available to them in the red zone but 10 for me is the prediction bet on lines over under for Adam Thielen has gone down in touchdowns it's seven now it's probably because of uh, things I've what written. do they know <laughs> insider info <laughs> they probably are well neither Luke nor Arif projected anything for they they basically did the optimistic thing of i'm gonna what if he misses half the season so i'm gonna go with seven as i do still think even if he misses half the season he can still like have a couple of games where he gets two touchdowns and like bring it back but i'm gonna go with the over under just to zig while everybody else is zagging go with seven he's going chalk you know i think there, that's definitely possible luke because of the herb smith effect in the red zone jefferson in the red zone osborne vulturing um, maybe being a little more effective running the ball in the red zone, which they were not last year. I'm still going to – I want to do this because I want to thread the needle and make the most difficult prediction to win 
and I'm going to go 11 because I have to hit it on the nose, and I feel pretty good about it. Um, so right in between Luke and Reef. Luke, you're hoping for uh, for a low, Luke Braun, I should say. You uh, you need it below 9 for you to win. Luke Inman, you need 12 or more. I'm emotionally right. hedging against an Adam Thielen injury. You know, Luke Braun did turn to me at training camp practice. He said, you know, Thielen, he looks a tick slower, but you know what? I could still see him putting up some three-catch, three-touchdown type of games just because he's still, I mean, he's still that guy down in the red zone for sure. For sure. Luke Braun Daniel Hunter back his predictions. and a ticked-off Zadarius Smith always come out on top. combined sacks this season. If you want to weigh in on the Zadarius Smith versus the Green Bay Pappers brouhaha, feel free to do so as you give your prediction, Luke. I'm going to go with, boy, this one's tough, right? I mean, you got two different elements. I'm going to go with 28 and a half, 28 and a half, 14, 14 and a half each, something like that. Um, I don't know exactly. We, we know at oh. Donatel's defense, 3-4 defense, Zadarius has been in a 3-4 before. I don't know exactly how they're going to use Hunter. Maybe you guys have a better idea of how they're moving him around over the A-gap on the edge. Is there going to be some hand-in-the-dirt situation? Is he going to drop back in coverage a little bit more? I don't know, but I got to think at the end of the day, they're going to pin these guys here back, especially on third and long, and just have them get in the backfield. When healthy, that's the big thing. Knock on wood, Hunter's... 16 games, uh, what, the last two years outside of last year, so what, 2019, 2020, 14 and a half sacks. So that seems about right. Um, and Zedarius, we know what he can do when he's healthy as well. So if they stay healthy, I don't even need him to stay 17 game healthy. If they just give me 15, 14, 15 games, I think they can reach that 28 uh, sack level. Oh. Uh, to, to me, I think uh, the issue is I don't know that uh, Zadarius Smith is as high a sack guy going forward as he was during his peak season. If you take a look at his healthy, full-time, non-peak playing seasons, you know, he was a 60-pressure guy as opposed to with a 100-pressure guy. He was in 2019. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take Luke's prediction and keep Daniil Hunter's basically 14 and a half, 15, uh, and ratchet down, maybe even cut in half Zadarius Smith. I'm going to say, uh, you know, 23 sacks between the two of them. Uh, once again, over-unders way below this, at least for Daniil Hunter. Uh, Bet Online has him at 11 sacks right now. Yeah. And I think Luke. with Fangio-style defenses, with his Donatel defense, it might spread the wealth a little bit more, too. Um, I could see the team generating a bunch of sacks, but seeing random rotational players getting uh, a greater share of them just because of the way things move around and the way offenses will react to that. Um, so I might go yeah, Von with Miller, famous for not getting 20. sacks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so uh, props go on Daniel Hunter. 20. Daniel Hunter, 40 to 1 defensive and, yeah, player of the year. That might be okay. Comeback player of the year. 66. Oh, okay. So wait, his, Future his comeback player of the year. His, his comeback of the year, 66 to 1. His defensive player of the year is, what was it? Four, 40 to 1. And I just think that's one. because... Yeah, I I think comeback player of the year. He's just maybe not as, um, like he wasn't down enough. Right. Like if it had been last year where he missed the whole season, can you name some other comeback of the like, year candidates uh, just so I get some context of who he's competing with? Well, like Derek so Henry. C- I mean, those are all Vikings, offensive but... guys. Is it separate? No, comeback is is anybody. No. 
Yeah, Derek Henry, I think, was the leader, right? C-Mac was in there. Uh, Juju Smith-Schuster was a second, long I'll shot. Guys, the Juju Smith-Schuster one, that one's tough for me. I don't know. It just feels like we don't have as many obvious, like, because Teddy couldn't win it because the Alex Smith story was just way too compelling, right? Like, that right. was, right. like, there was a lot of competitors that year. Um, it, it, but some years, like, Philip Rivers came back from being a bad quarterback to win comeback player of the year, right? <laughs> so... Yeah, Your odds-on favorite is Christian McCaffrey. Yeah, McCaffrey to me is probably the the only one that like strikes out as an obvious one. Yeah, All McCaffrey right. just <laughs> stays healthy. He wins that, I think, for sure. Four out of five times, for sure. What's next? The correct answer on the sacks, by the way, is going to be 22 and a half. Zadarius will have Oof. nine of them, and six will come against Green Bay. Because <laughs> he's mad. <laughs> mad. <laughs> I, I don't – this feels – and this is, this is an early party foul. Zadarius speaks to the media two days ago, three days ago, and completely downplays that there's any rivalry whatsoever. Then national guy calls him on the cell phone, and he spills his guts to about how bad Green Bay treated him. Party foul on Zadarius for not giving us the real story, but I love – that there's some rivalry here. It's great. Whenever there are former players that are ticked off, whether it's justified or not, like when Everson Griffin got mad at Mike Zimmer for calling him a good player instead of a great player. I yes. love that stuff. So I'm yes. all about it. <laughs> um, we got five more. Greg Joseph. Field goals inside of two minutes left. What will be his accuracy? What out of what? In those situations, this is your chance to predict a cataclysmic special teams meltdown, Luke. Yeah, I, I would love to know again what he did last year just to have something to go off of. I got to imagine, though, just top of my head, that you're going to be in that situation once every two, maybe three games at most, so-called two and a half. So I'm going to say there's about six to eight attempts. I'm going to say he goes five for seven in those situations. Um. I just don't know that there are going to be as many situations where you've got game-winning field goals on the line. I, I mentioned that I thought that there was going to be fewer opportunities for Kirk Cousins in the game-winning drive segment. Um, he went, what, 2-4 last year. I think um, that he'll maybe only have three of those opportunities. I think he's going to nail uh, two of them. So I'm going to go two of three or 66%, right, because we want the field goal percentage. So I'll go uh, you know, two-thirds. Well, and I just want to clarify, it's not necessarily game winning. It's just if he kicks a field goal inside of two minutes left, right? Is that correct? That's what it sounded I, like. I did not clarify in the category, yeah. so Luke read it correctly. I might yeah. have been thinking that, like there was a high leverage kick. And it doesn't have to be go-ahead kick. Like it, a big kick would be yeah. you're up by yeah. seven and you need mm -hmm. to make Mayor it go up by ten, yeah. like the, the Gary Anderson situation. That would be a big kick. So I, I'll go with Luke Inman's interpretation. Ooh course okay yeah, i've never heard that name before you mean morton never heard of her. i remember him kicking a couple <laughs> alec lewis morton. hasn't heard great of guy oh we love great you guy. alex please come back yeah, on the show <laughs> um it's made game winning kicks or is it like blank out of blank blank out of blank blank four out of six i guess i don't, I don't have a great frame of reference for this one so i'm going to just throw out a number and move on yeah, I thought of it like a reef. I thought about three opportunities, and maybe that's low, but I just think that Matt Daniels had the kiss of death when he said it was going to be Greg Joseph's greatest year ever. 
and the guy never Are you misses. Gonna goose and how... I'm going to go one of three. He'll make Do one. it. Do it. He'll you only think beat the you, you only think he's gonna you have like a sixty-five yarder kicks? in there, like desperation before you go to overtime. Like there could be weird stuff in there. It's true. They did say they wanted to give him longer kick opportunities. Anything is possible. I just, I just feel, yeah, okay, all right. I guess I'm at a disadvantage because I go first. Maybe mine seems way high. I just think in seventeen games, two minutes or under, minute and fifty seconds left to go up uh, nine instead of six. I just think he'll have more than three kicks, but I could be way off. We'll find out. We will find out. And I don't really know either, Luke. I don't know what, what the number was last year. Um, this is a sad one. Week one starters that get injured and lost for the season. Jesus. Give Dark, me a number. man. Dark. Oh, yeah. well, they hired that um, They hired that uh, guy from the Rams, Tyler Smith. Can't remember his name, top of my head. But um, he's got a great track record. I'm going to say zero. In week one specifically, I'm going to say zero. Well, it's, it's people who started week one who then go on to sustain a season-ending injury, right? So it's not number of injuries that occur in week oh, one. Oh, not in it's just week the one. The starters. Don't change oh, okay. it. Yeah. Just keep don't it. Change, don't change it. Don't Zero. Change it. I keep, Zero. I think, we turn the, wasn't the, the correct we answer? Turn the um, off. Yeah. The correct answer would have been one last year, Daniil, because Everson was not a starter, even though he kind of was in spirit. Um, but I think it was one. Well, what's injured for the season right, cause, then? Because Irv Smith doesn't count, right? Week, week 16 week concussion. Right. Or week 16. I mean, that's kind of tough. Uh, we'll, I we'll, we'll, hash that out. we'll hash that out at the end of the season and whether or not it felt like a season-ending injury. <laughs> Fair enough. That'll that be a good, a good three-minute yeah. debate down the road, yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I am sure <laughs> yeah. I will be very reasonable. For whichever one makes a reef feel the most right will be. Yeah, right. I don't know what you're talking about. So... Yeah, because Irv Smith wouldn't have counted last year, right? Because it was right before week one. Um, if I'm remembering the timelines correctly. Um, so uh, I'm going to go with uh, with three. The Vikings have had it too good for too long. Uh, they're going to have a couple of, of starters hurt. I'm not going to go ahead and predict who that is because uh, it's going to make me look smarter in the end when we play this back. So I'm going to say it's probably it's going to be three. They've got some random old heads on the team. They've got some injury concerns throughout. Uh, and then I am excited to debate what that means in about 19 weeks, gentlemen. In the interest of spirited debate in 19 weeks, I'm going to pick a number that's one away from a reef. And it's either two or four. I guess I'll go with oh, two. Jeez. Oh, Love you're it. going down. <laughs> I'll go with two, two. As long as it's good content. Uh, so okay, I'm, I'm in the middle. I'm 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 going to be writing up argument briefs for every possible scenario starting at this moment. <laughs> wow, you guys I'm are dark. My shot. Gonna, there's going to be that many injuries. Oh, wow, you guys do don't bleed. Wow, oh, zero. <laughs> the zero. The issue is that zero. other people bleed too much. That's the that's our concern. That's Patrick <laughs> Peterson and Christian Derrissa. No, literally. Sorry, yeah. guys. Oh yeah, there you go. Uh, Okay. In-season acquisitions right. by Quazy who play 100 or more snaps. So people he picks up who actually contribute. Just, just to clarify, this does not include special team snaps, or does it? This does not. Okay. Okay. Well, that's good clarification there, Reef, because that's huge. I'm, I'm trying to think last year how many was it. I'm trying. They traded for Chris Herndon two years ago. They traded for what? Ngakwe? Herndon uh, was not an in-season uh, acquisition. Okay, uh, I'm going to go both with... both was and was not an in-season trade. 
Did he even play more than 100 snaps? I'm going to go with one. And, and honestly, sacks, bro. I I don't even know if it's going to be one. I'm going to go with one. I'll, I'll start the uh, the round table. I'll, I'll go with one, Sam. Here you go. <laughs> sorry, one is sorry, the number. Just, sorry, the fact that I've got I forgot about exactly leading the team. I'm losing my mind. <laughs> he did. <laughs> he was okay. gone by week six. <laughs> Oh well, I'm happy for him. I'm happy for him. Sounds like he's happy. Oh, nice guy, great guy, great guy. Um, he's doing way better. Yeah. Well, and Daniel, so, Daniel was gone after after six games as well, and he didn't he lead until like the last week when DJ Wanham. That's right. Him? When DJ Wanham got a cleanup. When Justin DJ Fields Wanham, gave it to him. Right. Yeah, one of his <laughs> many cleanup Wanham sacks. Just doing Daniel dirty in every possible way for two consecutive <laughs> okay, so, years. Okay. <laughs> it, it, Unless you already looked it up, don't spoil it. Y Yannick had five sacks, led the team. Who was second on the team? Ah, it's probably Denebo, a defensive tackle. Right, uh, basically a defensive tackle. Kendrick? Sam got it. A Fetty. Eric Denebo? Wilson yeah, third Fetty. with three. Yeah. Hilarious. Eric Wilson! Yeah. With yeah. three. A special Eric team Wilson. safety what a year. at linebacker. Yeah. Oh, my God. 22 <laughs> tackles, eight tackles for loss. Le led the team in tackles for loss and quarterback hits. All right, uh, my prediction is that because there's not enough cap space to make trades, you're not going to trade for anybody who's worth anything. My prediction is zero. Yeah, I, I want her to go zero, but okay, fair enough. 100 snaps is a lot. I don't really see any situations where you have an injury and you don't you have such bad depth that you have to go get like a full-time starter via trade or something like that, uh, I mean, unless it's some kind bad. of emergency like Kirk Cousins or something. Um like, the depth is bad, but you're going to play the bad player. It's not so bad you're going to go get an acquisition. Yeah. Uh, so I, too, am going with zero. So... <laughs> I think... Isn't there some incentive? Isn't he a free agent? Like, that doesn't count as a trade. Oh, acquis you said acquisition. Do that again. No, no it's acquisition. Do that again. Acquisition. I'm still saying agent. 100 snaps is a lot. Isn't there some incentive to wait to pick these guys up until the season starts After for cap won. implications? Yeah. Yes, there is. Just saying. I'm going to go one. It's going to be a big one. I think, I think it has do to I do have guaranteed money for that. Money, though. I don't think it like changes the cap number. I think it's just guaranteed money. It's, it changes guaranteed money, which maybe, but... Right, yeah. But, like, whatever. That's why they cut, like, Brett Jones and then signed him right after week one, like, two years ago. All right, we got two more. Win-loss record, granddaddy. And we've also got a bonus prediction where you can literally predict anything you want. Um, win loss, Luke Inman. Let's I'm go. Go seventeen. Yeah, you know it. <laughs> Calm down, relax. <laughs> Shut the fire off, Sam. Take it easy. Let the dog out. Go for a walk. Maybe Shut let the, the dog walk off. you, Sam. <laughs> Holy smokes! What's going on at the Extrums, man? Put down the bill bars, bro. That's enough. Remember what the doctor said, dude. That's enough. <sighs> Um, here's the thing. It's funny because the over-under started at eight and a half. I think it's now moved to nine or if not nine and a half. Still going to punch the over. I'm going to go 10 and seven. I think they're a much better team than they were last year, even though they're in so many close games. They obviously weren't bad of a team. They just couldn't close these games out. My worry is, and Luke Brown's pointed this out before, these first four games, man, are tough. And they could easily start two and two, if not one and three. I still think they put up double-digit wins. 10 and seven, final answer. All right. Um, 
I think that they uh, fundamentally to me are a 10-win team as well, but I just want it to be slightly different than Luke's. Um, so I'm going to go actually up, not down, because I did say 10 wins. I'm going to go 10, 6, and 1. Um, and uh, and, <laughs> and that it. and that tie is going to screw them beautifully somehow. Like if they had gone 11 and uh, and 6, they would have had like, uh, they would have won the division, but 10, 6, and 1, they don't. Okay, please, we, we need a bonus prediction. Who's the tie against? Patriots on Thanksgiving? Runer oh, Thanksgiving? Gosh. Oh, gosh. I, no, I think the tie has to be just embarrassing. I'm going to go with the Lions. Love it. Usually it's a division team. Teams know each other yeah. so well. Okay, that makes sense. I like it. Okay. All right. Plus the Lions who just have this monstrously good set of, of offensive defensive lines. I just perfect to me. Kirk Cousins' 500 energy is just more powerful than any of us. 8-8-1, eight, eight, and one, the ties against the Bears. <laughs> you guys are sick. You guys are sick. How dare you? I would like to dedicate my prediction to a wonderful person who was in my mentions last night. I want to dedicate this prediction to at Jack Viking, who said the following last night on my Twitter. Vikings need some homers like the Bears and Packers. CHGO pod picking Bears to win between 9 and 11 games. Pack-a-day pod picking Packers to blow out Vikings Sunday. All we have is PA, and he's barely picking over the Vegas win total. We get 90% media who don't like the QB. Well, guess what, Jack Viking? 12 and 5! 12 and 5! Get it. Love it. We're doing this. That's it? Unbeaten at Come home. On, 12 yeah, and 5. Right, I'm with Luke on this one. Take that. Doesn't bleed. Doesn't Need bleed. Need some homers. Uh, there's a uh, ring at the doorbell. Guest of honor, Ron Johnson, joins us just in time to make his Minnesota Vikings season win-loss prediction. Ron, we just went around the horn. You probably saw me get upset there. I'm going 12 <laughs> and 5. Uh, Luke Braun's going 8, 8, and 1. So we've got some optimists. We've got some pessimists. Let me put you on the spot right away. What are you thinking for the Vikings win-loss? Oh, uh, man. I've gone back and forth. I'm going to say, honestly, I'm, I'm still sticking to my 10 or 11 wins. I think it's going to be a tough it was tough early and it's gotten tougher. You look at the Saints, uh, you look at the Eagles. Um, I don't know if it's me watching social media too much, but Jameis Winston, his confidence is giving me confidence in him. Like he has thrown for 5,000 yards. Uh, he has, you know, yes, he threw for 30 touchdowns, 30 interceptions, but he threw for 5,000 yards in the season. So, and they had only lost one game when he was healthy with the Saints. So, I'm, I, you know, Jarvis Landry, you had the Honey Badger. The Saints aren't as easy as we thought. Um, you look at the Eagles, they got better with A.J. Brown. Uh, I'm just I'm just not completely sold that those are easy, as easy as wins as I thought they would be. Uh, so I'm going to stick with like 10 to 11 wins. Uh, it, it's going to be a tough one. But again, we never know. I, I said they split with the Packers. If they find a way to beat the Packers twice, beat the Bears twice, and beat the Lions twice, that's six right there. So we'll see. Game one is going to tell us, but I'm going to go with 10 or 11 wins. You're the leader of the Kirk Cousins fan club, though. I was expecting 13 or more. People are talking about Kirk Cousins MVP, Ron. You got to go big with this guy. Ron has yeah, too Rich much Cannon, respect. <laughs> Rich Cannon won the MVP, too. He won 11 games that year. Even though it was a 16-game season, they were five. Uh, he won MVP. They had a great playoff run. So, 
season doesn't matter as long as they make the playoffs. I feel like Kevin O'Connell is going to do enough with Kirk Cousins that once they make the playoffs, that's when it's going to count. Uh, but, yeah, Rich Gannon, what, 20 years ago, won the won the MVP, my rookie year in the NFL. Uh, John Gruden had just left and went to the Bucs. Uh, Bill Callahan came in for the Raiders. I was at that Super Bowl, uh, Raiders, uh, Bucks, And, yeah, Rich Gannon didn't do enough to win it, but he did enough that season for people to feel like, you know what, this guy, he's a little old, a little long in the tooth, but he can be an MVP. And so I think, because Kyle Brandt tried to say it with uh, game day or whatever, good morning football, and, uh, he was wrong. He said John Gruden was the coach. That was not the coach. Uh, but where he was right was right coach, right offense, right system, and right quarterback. And I think that's where Kirk Cousins is right now. He has the right coach. He has the right system. Um, and he is the right quarterback. So I'm, I'm looking forward to what they can do. But, yeah, they win 11 games. They get in the playoffs. Hey, now they're playing with house money. It's anybody's game in the playoffs. So that's where I think the key is. We'll go around the horn here, hit you with some questions. But a reminder, check out the today's Ron Johnson show with Cam Bynum, Vikings starting safety. Ooh. Talks about Marshawn Lynch practicing with Cal in Australia. Super interesting. He's got a lot of good stories on that show. Check it out on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Luke Inman, what do you got? Hey, Ron, it seems like all offseason uh, training camp, OTAs, preseason teams, they got all their focus and energy on just getting better as a team, right? Learning the new playbook, nuances of a new system, the verbiage, hashtag chemistry, all that stuff. So at what point do teams usually start preparing for their week one opponent? Is it just like any other game where you start prepping the week prior? Is it immediately after their last preseason game? Or especially when it's a huge game like opening against the Packers, is it kind of in the back of everyone's mind throughout the entire offseason workouts? Like when does the game planning officially start? starts today uh to be honest it starts today uh for the coaches they've already been planning this like they started probably planning this first you know first summer meetings together they were getting ready because they know the staff's going to be there uh Kirk Cousins probably got some inklings of what to expect for the Packers uh Adam Thielen Dalvin Cook but the guys you can't give the playbook to are the guys you might cut and so that's the mm. other part of this is they can't unveil everything all summer because they're going to cut guys and that's why you see so many sneaky signings uh, where, like, they'll pick up a Vikings player the week they're playing the Vikings, hoping that they can get some intel from them. Um, but at the end of the day, it, it starts today for all the – especially the rookies, Lewis Seen and those guys, even though they probably knew he was making the team. Uh, all those guys, it starts – you know, it started first thing, 6 a.m. this morning, I'm guessing, when they got their iPad uploads and they got to, uh, got to the facility to lift weights or whatever they had to do. Um, it starts now. When they hit the field today – that's the goal. Like, that's the goal. Or, sorry, no, yesterday. I'm, I'm, my days are off because of Memorial or uh, the holiday, Labor Day. Uh, yesterday. So, yesterday. Today is Thursday. I'm, I've got to get my days together. So, yesterday, Wednesday, it started. Not today, Wednesday, because today is not Wednesday. Today is Thursday. But we only worked on Tuesday, Wednesday. So, today to me is Wednesday. But whatever. Um, but, yeah, yesterday. So, it started yesterday. We got all their film and stuff. So, like, when we saw Cam Bynum come off the field yesterday, um, that was the first time they all probably saw, like, this is how we're going to attack Aaron Rodgers. Uh, this is the coverages we're going to run. Uh, Cam Bynum talked about playing cornerback uh, and, and you know, how he continues to cover guys because he loves covering still in the slot. He was a corner for four years. You don't just let that go. But he knew, like, hey, I got to be a safety. Trying to figure out and be a safety and be in this mix of guys, I think that's going to be the key uh, for the team. But it started yesterday. The, the planning started yesterday. Once they made the cuts – it started, you know, 
inkling in and trickling in for the players. Uh, they're like, hey, here's the playbook. You know, we let all the guys go. Uh, and, you know, it's time to get ready for the Packers. I, iPads got uploaded. But, yeah, yesterday and Wednesday is when they started focusing on Packers. That, that's really interesting. For some reason, I thought it would be a little bit before that, a little sooner, especially against the Packers. But it makes a lot of sense, right? The reasoning makes total sense. You don't want the Bill Belichicks of the world going out and plucking these guys and stealing some playbooks and, and some of your schemes and things like that. So that makes a lot of sense. Very cool. In honor of uh, Zadarius Smith, be it as a player or as a member of the media, what's the pettiest thing you've ever done? I don't really know. Like, my, my petty is, like, my toxic trait, I guess. Like, I send a lot of, as per my oh, email. Um, so that's, I, I always do that. Like, I'm big on the, like, per my email. Like, when they ask me the same question I already <laughs> answered, I'm a big per my uh, I, I've learned, though, like, with my wife, I can't do that anymore. Uh, cause she's sensitive, but yeah, no, but I, I do internally, like when she does something and I know, like I've already told her this, I internalize it. I don't externalize it. Cause then she gets mad. Uh, but no, yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of my petty trade. I constantly do the per my previous email or like I'll screenshot a text and send it right back to the person when they say, Oh, I didn't see it. Like, Oh yeah. You responded though. Like on Tuesday, uh, here's your text. <laughs> uh, can't come back from that. Like your only response is be like my. So yeah, that's that's my level. Oh, that's good. I love that. That's great. I love that. I love that. Uh, I'm gonna circle back to football hey, a little bit. This, but... The pettiest thing I've done on Twitter, um, there's a guy at Fox Nine. I won't say who, but he, I know he's a Badgers fan, and so when the Badgers lose to anybody, especially somebody they shouldn't lose to, I constantly come up with like I have memes in my holster waiting for Badger losses. <laughs> I can just spam stuff. I already got, like, things ready to go for this season. The minute they lose to somebody, that's why I was hoping Iowa lost. Um, but it's not as fun because, like, Ian Leonard at Fox is the only real Iowa guy that I know. But there's another guy at Fox that, like, he takes it really personal uh, that whenever we clown the Badgers, uh, you know, like, he gets upset. Like, I, I went on Fox one day and I asked the GM, could I do it? And on uh, the national show before, I forgot who, who they're about to play, but before Reggie Bush and them took over, I basically kept saying the Badgers suck. Like, I was like, they suck. The coach sucks. Like, I'm sick of this. And he was, he sent me a message like, that's so unprofessional. And then I just sent him a text screen from the GM uh, saying, hey, yep, feel free to say the Badgers suck. So, yeah, that's that's my level of petty, though, with the Badgers, though. I love that one. That's good. That's good. I'm not going to top that with my question. My question's very, like, cut and dry football. But I actually, it does kind of relate to Cameron Bynum a little bit. I'm really excited about, uh, you know, his – uh, potential level of play. I'm really excited this opportunity gets to start. I'm glad that the Vikings uh, didn't just hand the job off and that and that Cameron Bynum was able to win it. But I do have concerns about Lewis Seen, and I want to know when we should be concerned, right? And I'm not saying week one is when we should be. I just want to know what time we hit that button, especially if the Vikings don't actually implement um, that many three safety looks like we expected them to do. If he doesn't see the field, at what point should we be like, huh, I don't know, is that pick going to work out? Well, he's athletically gifted. Uh, his size, he's gonna he's gonna contribute on special teams. He's gonna play. Uh, the plays he made in the preseason look really good. This is the thing about Cam Bynum, though. Just because you draft a guy in the first round doesn't mean it's his job. And and I think that's where we get thrown off sometimes. We assume a first rounder should have the job. Um, I think we got caught in that with Laquan Treadwell. I think if we had just taken Laquan Treadwell at face value of he's gonna be a good number three, I don't think we would have seen the you know I don't think we would have had the same feelings towards him as we did. Um, but when you look at Lewis scene, I think the biggest note to remember is Ed Reed 
didn't start right away. I mean, again, I think eventually by like play four or five in the first game, he, he was the starting safety. Uh, but Ed Reed went through the whole preseason, everything as the number two safety. Eventually he earned it uh, like in the first game. But, you know, that not and not to say he's going to be a pro bowl like Ed Reed, but some teams don't just throw rookies in there if they don't feel like they're really ready to go. And you have a guy like Cam Bynum, who's actually really good. Um, don't sacrifice his production just because you drafted a guy, knowing that, hey, we're going to have this guy for a couple of years. Hey, let's work him in when we can. I think we're going to see, though, in some dime packages, because we know Aaron Rodgers is going to go four wide. I have a feeling we're going to see Cam Bynum come covering the slot uh, because he still mm -hmm. can play corner. A comments about wanting to cover to the field. So I wouldn't be surprised to see Lewis Seen come in with Harrison Smith as the safeties and then Cam Bynum drop down in the dime with uh, Channing Sullivan on the other side. And then you got um, uh, Dantzler and then Patrick Peterson uh, as your kind of 6DB look. So, you know, don't be surprised about that. All right, Ron, amazing stuff. I got one more for you here. We talked about this in the Bynum interview. Today is the 20-year anniversary of your first NFL reception and NFL touchdown. What was your celebration when you scored? Oh, it was trash. Um, it was something. <laughs> I, it was. It was. It was like the. It was the Harlem Shake. So I, I think the first one I did was a Harlem Shake, and it was so trashy because I didn't know how much time I had. I didn't want to get a flag, so I kind of did it like real quick. I did the Harlem Shake for the and not the like. TikTok Harlem Shake where everybody freezes and then does something stupid. It was the actual legit P. Diddy Harlem Shake from uh, him and Mace in the video with, uh, I forgot the name of their group. Uh, but then it kind of evolved. Just imagine it's 30 degrees outside and your pants get wet, your jeans get wet. How would you walk? You would have like a straight leg walk so your jeans aren't touching your legs. Even though that doesn't work nowadays because kids are wearing skinny jeans, so it doesn't matter. But back in the day, we wore baggy jeans. And so if your jeans got wet, you had to walk straight legged. So it kind of became the straight leg. I called the wet pants dance because like your legs don't move. But I mean, your legs don't bend, but you're still kind of moving. And we called it the wet pants. Yeah, it was trash. It was a trashy <laughs> dance. Like, I wasn't Cam Bynum draft day prepared to, like, celebrate. Like, I didn't think I was going to score. Like, that's the thing. Like, I wasn't prepared to score that game. Like, I, I I, I, would love to go back in history. I talk about this all the time. I would love to go back in history and talk to myself and say, hey, get ready for the first game and have a legit dance ready because you're going to score. Because I just wasn't ready. Like, I scored and I, like, jumped up. Like, wait, what a minute. I scored? And then I just, yeah, it was trash. Because we couldn't celebrate in college. So I really didn't have a college celebration. Yeah. But it was like the Harlem Shake mixed with the wet pants. It was terrible. That's a great story, though. Ed Reed, I think Ed Reed or Bar Scott blocked a punt against the uh, uh, Browns. And then I did the dumb dance again. Like, I scored that game. But when we get to the bench, like, we're mic'd up talking about the pump block. And you hear somebody say, like, oh, I see you hit the wet pants. And back then, I'm like, oh, that was cool. I look back, I'm like, oh, that was the dumbest. Like, what were we doing? Like, we just, like, it was dumb. <laughs> Only in 2002. <laughs> Antonio Brown does the stupid, like, take that stuff off dance mm -hmm. so or put that stuff on. I don't know what he's doing. So, yeah, so there's dumb dances everywhere. That's true. Ron Johnson. Ron Johnson Show, Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, the roundtable on Fridays. Uh, check him out, Vikings Game Day Live as well. Ron, thanks a lot. No, appreciate thanks, it. Thanks, Ron. Thanks, Ron. At 3 Ron Johnson. Hit him up on Twitter. He joins us every Thursday. All right, before Arif has to go, we're running out of time, but we got to do this. We've got to gamble. We've each got $1,000 in our mystical bank. 
These are the rules. Using the bet online odds, we're going to make one prediction against the spread, one prediction for over-under. We can't double up on the same games. It's got to be different. Going to be a snake selection, starting with Arif. I just randomly picked that. We're going to go around the circle. So Arif, Braun, me, Inman. Inman, me, Braun, Arif. If you understand the rules, hopefully you do. Uh, we're ready to go. Arif, start us off. Oh, boy. Um, I really want to do tonight's game, but I think that the, the, the numbers on it are actually like quite good. Um, so it, it'll, it'll be tough uh, for that. But I think um, kind of the very next one actually on Bet Online, which is the Baltimore Ravens, New York Jets, uh, the Baltimore Ravens are favored by a touchdown. And I think, you know, the Jets are what? They're going to start uh, Joe Flacco in a revenge game. I know that people are concerned that the Ravens' defense is just not what it used to be, but honestly, I think that secondary is good. I think Lamar Jackson is going to be playing for a guaranteed contract. I think that I really like the moves that they've made. I really like Rashad Bateman. I think the Ravens beat the Jets by more than a touchdown, so I'm going to take the Ravens' money line there. Or not the Ravens' money line, the Ravens' spread there. Um, And I forgot one key part of this. You have to wager part of your bank. The max Right, part of my $1,000. Max yeah. bet is a hundred dollars uh, in week one. Yep. Uh, I uh, I really like this one, but I wasn't prepared for the segment, so I'm not gonna go. I'm not gonna go whole hog here. I'm gonna bet uh, seventy five. And what are the odds on it? Uh, it is minus one sixteen for Ravens minus seven. Very specific. All right, Luke Braun. Uh, I'm gonna go with. Our good old Vikings game, but you're not going to like it. Uh, I think the market has been way too bullish on the Vikings in this game. I know they're at home, and I know it's week one. We're also contending with week one Sammy Watkins, always a thing to, to worry about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think the market has overreacted to some of the health issues that the Green Bay Packers are having with Alan Lazard maybe out, with uh, a couple of linemen out. Right now, the line is Packers minus one. Like, I don't think this is an even that even a game at all. So I am going to put a hundred bucks max bet on Packers minus one at minus one thirteen. Minus one thirteen. Um. All right. I was gonna go with uh, the Ravens minus seven. Can't do that anymore. So I'm gonna move on to the Baker Mayfield revenge game. I love all the revenge really? angles. So much fun. Yeah, you do. Yeah. yeah I. I, I just think that uh, I'm a believer in karma. I think the Browns are going to lose, and I think Baker is uh, going to win at home in his Panthers debut. I think that, um, you know, the, the Browns don't have exactly stellar quarterback play themselves, so I'm going to go Panthers minus one at minus 125 for 50. Okay, well, I too was going to jump on that Raven train, but that's out. I'm going to go to my plan B, and I'm going to take the Jacksonville Jaguars plus two and a half in Washington. I think they win the game outright. I think we realize and find out how bad of a coach Urban Meyer was and how much Trevor Lawrence needs a legit QB kind of coach like a Doug Peterson. Uh, I think that's at plus 115 here, Sam. I'm going to go whole hog, as a reflex to say. And hit that max bet button for a hundred bucks. First underdog taken, and now you get to pick twice, and this will be an over under bet. Yeah, I'm gonna take the over in the Chiefs Cardinals game. 
inside oh. in the dome, like the conditions. Mm. It's high. It, mm. I think it's actually the highest over under of the uh, entire week of the entire slate. It it's at 53, 53 and, and a half. half. And I like the over. So what does that say? I think it's going to be an absolute shootout. Uh, Mahomes wants to show off his uh, talents without guys like Tariq uh, Hill. And I like it. I like it. Uh, over, I think, is at minus 115 here, Sam. So I'm going to go 50 bucks on that one. Not quite as confident on that one. Still 50 bucks mm -hmm. minus 115 on the over, 53 and a half. I actually wanted the under on that, um, and I cannot do it. So I got to rethink my strategy. BetOnline.net. Make sure to check it out. I like, um, my gosh, the amount of revenge games are insane. Broncos against Seahawks. I think the Seahawks are a bad football team. Um, and I don't think they're going to score very much. And I don't think Russell Wilson is going to, like, set the world on fire in week one either. I'm going to go under 44.5 Broncos Seahawks. And 50 bucks on it at minus 105. Yeah, I don't like any of these over-unders, to be honest. Um, so I'm also going to hedge one. But you know what? I'm going to root for fun. Uh, Bills-Rams, over 52 at minus 110. And uh, I'll, I'll put a nice, responsible 50 bucks on it. Reese, nice. finish it up. Um, I don't like either of these offenses. I think that both of these defenses have something going for them. So I'm actually kind of surprised that the over-under isn't on the low range. Now, we've got some extremely low over-unders on the board. I know the 49ers Bears, for example, over-unders mm -hmm. 40, which is wild. Yeah. Um, but this yeah. one's at 48 mm -hmm. and a half. Eagles, Lions, 48 and a half. That is weird to me. They know something I don't, or they're wrong, more likely the first. But I'm still going to put uh, 50 bucks on the under there. That just I just don't – everyone is in on Jalen Hurts. I'm not. I, I need to see it first. And so you got Hurts, you got Goff, you got 48 points. I don't know how. And the odds on that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the odds are minus 105 on the under. Minus 105. That's a wrap. We will update every week. We'll have our predictions every week toward the end of the show, starting with 1,000. And we got to come up with the loser punishment. So comment on the YouTube video or hit us up on Twitter at Sam Extra, no. Mac, Luke, Luke underscore Spinman. Loser punishment for the last place finisher. Luke, did you ever come up with a loser punishment for your other league? Uh, a bunch of good stuff got flung out there. Enlist in the Army was a good one. I really thought about that for a while. Um, no, seriously, uh, what ended up happening, I ended up uh, making a uh, fun little music video about our commit, not music video, a video compilation. I got some uh, cameos in there. You know, that website Cameo. You got some celebrities and people like that that, um, you know, basically trash and burn whoever you want. I ended up making about our commish who we always uh, kind of make fun of. And uh, it ended up turning out really good. Honestly, I think I got off pretty easy, to be honest. All things considering. That's funny. Um, party fouls to finish. I, you know, I was going to go with Z Smith for his uh, misleading press conference with us. But I will also, uh, it's, it's fun to just roast the twins right now. So I'll do it. Tommy Watkins, third base coach yesterday. What are you doing? What do you, I know Luke Inman knows because he's, uh, he's following the team day to day. Brutal. Just a brutal send against the Yankees in the 11th inning. Still uh, pains 11th me. 11th inning? Fun. What happened? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, oh so runner on second, nobody <laughs> out. Base hit. Runner was clearly not going to score. You've got the meat of your order coming up. So you could have had first and third with nobody out. They sent the runner, tagged out at home, ruined the inning, and the Twins lose for the millionth time 
in uh, New York in the last yeah. 20 years. Aaron Gleeson. That you said. You need to bring back Al Newman. Come on, man. Um, I'm actually going to stick with the Twins. I saw that. I think it was the geek. Aaron Gleeman tweeted it out. Twins winning percentage against the Yankees, 39 and 116 since 2002. We're talking 20 yeah, years. Right. All three <laughs> managers, Gardy, Molitor, Rocco, horrible winning percentage. Sub 300 winning percentages. You can't even win three out of 10 games against the Yankees for the last 20 years. Absolutely insane. I don't even know how you do that. I love the small market versus big market kind of, uh, you know, case, but uh, it's 2022 now. Come on, that's over, right? Like, that's not a thing anymore, is it? Party Unfathomable, foul. honestly. Mm. Um, party foul. Love, love Gleeman's stats. That's fantastic. My, my party foul is on the Steelers for trusting what they saw from Mitch Trubisky in the preseason and naming him their starter for the year. I know that they're comfortable with rookie starters. That's what Ben Roethlisberger was. Uh, and so I know that this is something that they can do. They choose not to. Um, so either the party foul is making the wrong choice here or turning Kenny Pickett into a first-round draft pick when he cannot even beat out Mitch Trubisky. So my party foul is on the franchise that will refuse to throw left for the next couple of games. <laughs> I think they get blown out by Cincy. I think week two, you see Kenny Pickett. Apparently, that throwing left is an Anthony Richardson problem, too, the, the Florida quarterback. <gasps> There's another one. Yeah. <laughs> You've yeah, been looking for fun. your sequel. I've, I'm so sequel. excited. 2.0. <laughs> uh, my party foul goes to a fellow zone coverage writer, Nick Olson who spent like two days online arguing that Kirk Cousins doesn't have a good arm. You're killing me, dude. Uh, he way overthought it, that... and I'm going to call you out. Mostly because you see I just the Ruiz? like Nick. Do you see the Ruiz rankings? It looks like, uh, it's like Nick, Nick I believe that was Steven what Ruiz started are aligned here. Oh my gosh. Okay. <laughs> that was an, an amazing, like, just project that the Ringer put together graphically. I love when the Ringer does big projects. Oh. Yeah, Fantas they know how to do it. I, I thought, I mean, the, the rankings, like pre-snap, acumen, pretty arbitrary. Don't know if I buy into Trevor Lawrence being above Kirk, but I love the effort put into that project. Um, check it out at theringer.com. Also check out Lockdown Sports Minnesota. Subscribe on YouTube, get all the videos, leave comments, like, and subscribe, please, wherever you get your podcasts as well. Luke Inman, Superior Sports Talk, at Luke underscore Spinman, Arif Hassan, The Athletic, at Arif Hassan NFL, Luke Braun, Lockdown Vikings, Lockdown Vikings postcast, at Luke Braun NFL, and I'm Sam Ekstrom, at Sam Ekstrom. Threw a lot at you there. Minnesota football party Mondays and Thursdays. Enjoy the game on Sunday. We'll talk to you next week. Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.